The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us on our Mother's Day this morning. We're so glad that each and every one of you came out to Ambassador Baptist Church and we're excited about what God has for us and we're excited to dedicate our babies later on during the service. And so thank you so much for worshiping here with us this morning. First Samuel chapter number one, we'll start reading in verse number four and then we'll make our way down to verse number 18. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse number 4, And when the time was come that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peniah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her room. So literally, Hannah could not have children. And her adversaries also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her room. So literally, people were giving Hannah a hard time because she couldn't have children. Verse 7, and as she did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Um, just as a side note, husbands, this is a horrible thing to say to your wife when she's upset, all right? Hey, babe, what's wrong? I, I'm ten times better than anything you got, right? That's not a good thing to say, so... Verse number 9, so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple. So Eli, he's the priest, he's sitting outside the temple, and Hannah goes there to pray. And verse number 10 says, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Verse number 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaiden a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. So as Hannah literally goes and prays, God, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. This is where we get the inspiration for our message and our service this morning. She said she would dedicate him to the Lord. Verse number 12, And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. So Eli, the priest, he's watching her. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunk. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. So literally, she's here pouring out her heart to the Lord, and Eli comes and says, Hey, why are you drunk? Verse 15, And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaiden for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken hereto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaiden find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way, and she did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. So literally we see, as we'll see in the later passages, God gave her a child, and she dedicated him to the Lord. This morning, pastor is going to bring a message simply entitled, A Mother's Dedication. Well, let me just begin by saying uh, happy and blessed Mother's Day uh, to all of our moms here. As I was praying about it this morning and, and thinking of all the wonderful moms that would be represented in the room this morning, I just kind of Lord laid it on my heart just to kind of maybe say to you in a very specific way and to specific situations, uh, how blessed you are in Christ. And so 
I, I want to take a moment and I want to say to each and every one of you in your specific situations uh, that God is with you. I would say to the exhausted mothers of preschoolers, how many mothers of preschoolers do we have here today? The exhausted mother of preschoolers, I would say to you in Christ, you have access to rest. That's true. I would say to the worried mothers of teenagers, anybody in that boat? To the worried mothers of teenagers, I would say in Christ, you have access to peace. I would say to the mother who is not yet a mother but believes that God will one day give her a child, that in Christ you have access to hope. I would say to those who wanted to be a mother but in the sovereignty of God never will, that in Christ you have access to joy. I want to say to the mother who has adopted and fostered children that are not biologically yours, that in Christ you have access to strength. I'd like to say to the mother who feels like she did it all wrong. Anybody like that? (laughs) I tried, but I know deep in my heart I failed. I want to say to you that in Christ you have access to mercy. I want to say to the mother who is estranged from their child that in Christ you have access to the faith to believe that a better day is coming. I want to say to the mother who has lost a beloved child that in Christ you have access to comfort. And to those of you who are here today, and to you who miss your own mother on this bittersweet day, in Christ you have access to the promise that you will see her again. And that is what you possess in Christ. I want to remind each of the mothers here today that in Christ you are loved, that in Christ you are adored. And that in Christ, you are enough. In him, you're enough. And I want to remind you that God's grace, his love, his adoration abides upon you. That is what you have access to because of God's grace. (laughs) Somebody once joked... They said it's not easy being a mother. (laughs) If it were, fathers would do it. (laughs) And the truth is simply this. Oh, my. Parenting uh, in all of its forms is interesting, it's perplexing, it's overwhelming, and it's often all of those things at the exact same time. If we were to pause for a moment and just tell stories about parenting, every one of you could share an antidote or a story or, or an illustration of just the perplexities and the overwhelming nature of what it is to, to be a parent. I, I remember a few weeks ago, we were at Costco with our family. Uh, any of you shop at Costco with your family? And we were g- going through Costco, and everything comes in giant sizes, and you can't buy little th- of anything. It's like giant 
everything, you know, and so we were in there, and we were walking down the rows, and our, our children aren't really usually like this, but for whatever reason, they just got something in their head, and we were passing down the aisle, and there was a giant case uh, that you could purchase of uh, literally seaweed, or no joke, it's seaweed, it was a big case of seaweed. How many of you saw this at Costco? You, you, just, you can buy a case of seaweed. It comes in little packets like ramen noodles, and uh, you can eat this, this seaweed, you know. And so we were going down, and, and one of my children looked and said, Mom, Dad, can we please get some seaweed? And I don't know what happened, but like everybody jumped on the bandwagon. That was Ashlyn, Anderson, and Landon, and they're literally in the middle of Costco. Like, we really, really, really want this seaweed. And it's not like I could just buy them a little packet of sea, seaweed. No, I was going to have to get them an entire case of seaweed here at this moment, and so I kind of just, oh, maybe a little bit later, I put it on the side, and they're like, no, really, really, we want it, and I'm like, guys, you don't even, you don't even like seaweed, no, no, we, we would love seaweed, it would be awesome, I, I think our friend at school gave it to us one time, and it was, it was so good, you know, and we, we really like it, I'm like, are you guys sure, no, dad, we, and I said, I don't want to spend the money on this seaweed, and then just have you guys throw it away, and not like, no, we promise you, we will eat every single bite of this seaweed, and they're convincing me through all of this like what in the world no I'm, I'm like I, I you know are you sure you know no dad we promise you and they're just going on and I'm, I promise we will eat every bite of this and so we put the seaweed into our cart and we bought our children a Costco sized case of seaweed we get to our car and the kids are like we can't wait till we get home we got to have some seaweed right now you know and so all right so we passed out the seaweed and they're ripping the package out this is gonna be awesome they put it in their mouth and this is awful i mean it's literally dripping from their tongue they couldn't it's all over my car i'm like guys what in the world are you doing they're like this tastes like trash I know, that's why I didn't want to get it for you guys. It's awful. I know it's awful. I was like, but you're going to eat every bite, right? No, there's not a chance in the world we're going to eat another bite of that. This tastes like garbage from the ocean. You ever been there before? It's like parenting is like, what? It's like so perplexing. It's like, what in the world is going on? This thing and that thing. And I think if we were to be honest, all of us could resonate when we work with our kids. It's like they say one thing and it's something else. And it's confusing and it's perplexing and it's overwhelming. And, and we come to this passage here that we just read a moment ago. And here we find this mom-to-be, Hannah, and she's just struggling. She's in her heart, she's struggling. She so badly wants a child. I mean, literally to the point that her soul is in absolute anguish. Verse 10 says, she wept, she cried sorely. Verse 15 says, she literally poured out her soul before the Lord. In fact, she was in so much anguish that the pastor there thought she was drunk. It's just, it's how just overwhelmed and how much anguish she was, she was in. Verse number 13, the Bible says she began to speak unto the Lord and she told God, if you'll give me a child, if you'll give me a son, I will dedicate that son to your work. I will dedicate that son to your will. I will dedicate that, this son to your plan. And she vows a vow, verse number 11. And God answers her prayer. In our passage, we see Hannah dedicating her son to the work of the Lord. But, but this isn't an isolated case. This is not just one place where this happens. It, it happens in uh, other passages in we, as well. And, and in the Gospel of John, we see this demonstrated 
on a much, much grander scale. John chapter 20, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them, to the multitude, As my Father hath sent me. So Jesus is trying to help his disciples and followers understand there is a heavenly Father. And he says, my heavenly Father, he sent me to this earth. I left the glories of heaven. I left the physical presence of my heavenly Father. And he sent me to this earth. He dedicated me to a plan. He dedicated me to his will. He dedicated me to his purposes. Luke chapter number 22, verse 42 says it this way. Jesus was there at the Garden of Gethsemane getting ready to go to the cross. And he says, Father, speaking to his heavenly Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. If there's another way, if there's something different I can do than than what you dedicated me to do, than what you purposed me to do. If there's another way, remove it. Nevertheless, he says, not my will, not my purpose, not my plan. He says, hey, what you dedicated me to do and what you dedicated in your will and what you dedicated in your plan, not my will be done, but thy will be done. I want to say this, that God the Father dedicated His only begotten Son for the purpose of providing us with salvation. That is what God the Heavenly Father did. He dedicated His Son, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and dedicated Him to us so that we could experience eternal life in Christ, which leads us to our first thought this morning, and that is simply this. Our Heavenly Father dedicated His child to us. Let that reality sink in for a moment. Let what God did on our behalf, what God did on your behalf, sink deep into the crevices of your heart that our Heavenly Father dedicated His child, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. He dedicated Him to you for a purpose. And that purpose was to purchase for you salvation, to purchase for you eternal life, to purchase for you abundant life in Him. That is what he offers. Now get this. Even when you're living in sin, even when you were in rebellion against God, even in your humanity, even in your brokenness, he dedicated his son, his only begotten son, to you. Our heavenly father dedicated his son to be our savior. Romans 5.8 says it this way. But God commendeth, gave, dedicated here his love toward us in that while we were yet saved. Sinners, Christ died for us. I want to remind you, God dedicated his son to us while we were in the midst of our sin. God dedicated his son to us while we were in the midst of our rebellion against him. God dedicated his son to us in the midst of our brokenness. God dedicated his son to us in the midst of our humanity. God dedicated his son to us in the midst of our faults, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our guilt. He dedicated his son to us knowing that many of us would never dedicate anything back to him. And yet that is the unconditional loving nature that God's dedication pours out upon you. Our Heavenly Father dedicated His child, His only begotten Son, to you. 
You see, at the cross of Calvary, where Jesus bled and suffered and died for you, it was at the cross of Calvary that we begin to get some idea of the fierceness of God's hatred of sin as well as the tenacity of his love for sinners. Let that sink in for a moment. At the cross of Calvary, we begin to get the idea of God's fierce hatred of sin as well as the tenacity of his love for sinners. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. The Bible tells us in Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all unrighteous. We all fall short. We are all sinners. We are all broken. We are all full of shame, guilt, and humanity. But God so loved the world that He gave, He dedicated His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's not a person in here who hasn't broken one of God's laws. In fact, the scriptures tell us that when we break one of God's laws, we're guilty of all of them. There's no one of us that can take the moral high ground here to somehow position ourselves to be somehow morally superior to someone else in this room. There is no moral high ground at the cross. There are only guilty broken human sinners. That's all we are. And yet God, in love for us, while the wages of those sins, the payment of our sin is death, that's the consequences, that's the ramifications of our brokenness, of our humanity, of our shame, of our guilt, of our addictions, is death. Revelation tells us that death and hell are then cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. There are ramifications, biblically. There are consequences, scripturally, to our brokenness, to our sin. And yet this is what is so scandalous about the nature of the gospel is that God dedicated His Son, Jesus Christ, to bear the full consequences of our sin upon His own body. To literally absorb every ounce of God's wrath. And rather than pouring out the cup of wrath upon you and I because of our sin and brokenness, He chose, He dedicated His Son and poured out all, every ounce of His wrath got poured out upon His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. A a perfect Son who was born of a virgin. A perfect Son who knew no sin. A perfect Son who willingly, obediently took on the death of the cross. 
God poured out the consequences of our sin upon his own son who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God literally sent Jesus and Jesus took the punishment for our sin so that we wouldn't have to take the punishment of sin. And in his place, God gave us the righteousness deserved due to Christ and put that righteousness upon us to those who believe. Wow. It's an exchange of epic proportions. I trade the consequences and guilt and shame of my sin for the perfection of his righteousness, and I appropriate that by faith alone. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he does this. Not because of what we've conjured up, but because of his benevolent nature toward broken sinners. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, anybody from any background, you say, well, you don't know what I've done morally. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I didn't grow up in a culture that taught these things. It doesn't matter. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved from the consequences, the guilt and the shame of their sin. You say, well, I grew up in a different religion. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, will be saved. It is a promise from a God that cannot lie. It is yours. It is a grace bestowed upon you, not because you earned it, not because you deserve it. It is a gift given to those who will simply, by faith, receive his grace by simple belief. There is none righteous, no, not one. But it is according to his mercy, because of God's grace, we can be made righteous in Christ, made perfect, be made holy. This is what God makes available to each and every one of us. Our heavenly father dedicated his only child, his only son, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now let's move on. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 20, you now, those that are in Christ, those who have received Christ, who have put their faith in Christ, that find their identity in Christ, the Bible says you now are not your own. Why? For you have been bought with a price. The price which he purchased your soul, he purchased us. The cost of the father was the life of his son, Jesus Christ. He literally paid the life and blood of his son to purchase for us salvation. He purchased us again. He created us the first time and then he purchased us the second time. Literally, for those of us who are in Christ, we are twice his. And because of this, we no longer belong to ourselves. We are no longer self-autonomous. 
We now, in Christ, belong fully and completely to God. Those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are in Jesus, we now are His. Because of the event that took place on the cross, those of us who are saved, those of us who have been born again, those of us who are, we no longer belong to ourselves. We're not our own. We belong to God. We are His. That is who we are. That is who you are. That is who I am. Beyond that, the Bible tells us in the Gospel of James, chapter 1, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father. Literally, not only do we belong to God, but the Scriptures declare that everything that we find in our possessions also belongs to God. And furthermore, everything in our possession, because it is God, it's all gifts from God and is literally just on loan from Him. Let me say this. Including... Our children, they are on loan to you, mothers, from God. You see, when you accepted Christ, His Spirit now indwells those who are believers. And the same Spirit that dedicated that which was most important and most precious, Jesus, that same Spirit that dedicated Jesus to us, now desires, that spirit now lives inside of us, now desires that that which is most precious to us would be freely dedicated back to God. You see how that works? The spirit that gave something and dedicated something to us, now that spirit wants to dedicate something through us. Which leads us here to our second thought on this Mother's Day, and that is this. Because our Heavenly Father willingly dedicated His Son to us, we can dedicate our children to Him. What we're about to partake in and the ceremony that is about to take place takes place in this theological context. These parents that come and dedicate their children to God, they're not doing it because somehow they feel like it will make their children more superior they are doing it in response to a God who has already dedicated everything to them. And as a grateful response back to God, as a joyful response back to the God who has given them everything, the only thing that they could think to do in response is dedicate their children back to Him. It is not a duty. It's the delight of those who understand deeply that God the Father has already given them everything that they need for life and godliness. And so the only practical response would be to give everything that God has given back to him. And that is the theological foundation in which this ceremony takes place. It is the theological context in which this happens. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, well, <laughs> I actually don't have any children. Let me, then just do this. In your notes there, on the second page of your booklet, there's a little blank. Because our Heavenly Father willingly dedicated His Son to us, we can dedicate our blank to Him. You say, I don't have children. Well, that's okay. Because you can put any word, anything that is in your possession in that blank, and it is still theologically correct. So if you don't have kids, what is the Spirit of God leading you to fill in that blank with? Because our Heavenly Father willingly dedicated 
that which was most precious to him, his son, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to us, we can now dedicate our blank to him, including our children, and we can dedicate them and those things to God's plan. We can dedicate our all to God's will. We can dedicate our everything to his purposes. Let me just say this. As we continually focus and meditate on all that God has given to us, it becomes easier and easier for us to dedicate everything we have back to God. The more we meditate, the more we focus on all that God has dedicated to us, the more our lives will exude a spirit of dedication and commitment to both God and to the others around us. So let me just remind you, when God leads you to dedicate something to him in response to what he's dedicated to you, he isn't primarily wanting something from you. The Bible says our God possesses everything. God doesn't want something from you. God desires something for you. And as you learn to respond in joyful gratitude of dedicating that which he's given to your possession back to him, it ushers in a joy, it ushers in a gratitude, it ushers in a peace that passes all understanding. It's not that God wants something from you, it's that this is the path by which God does something for you. It is the path by which he ushers in your peace that so lacks in your soul. It is dedication that ushers in a joy unspeakable and full of glory. You say, no, joy is found in hoarding. No, joy is found in dedicating that which he's put in your possession back to God. That is the pathway to joy. That is the pathway to peace. God doesn't need something from you. God wants something for you. So let's take this away. We'll wrap this up. Because our Heavenly Father dedicated His Son to us, that which was most precious to Him, and He gave it to us so that we might experience eternal salvation, eternal life, and abundant life more enriching, we can now dedicate everything, including our children, their very lives, back to Him. And we can do it for His glory. Since Jesus Christ was willing to dedicate everything, including his very life for you, let me ask you this. What is his spirit leading you to dedicate back to him? For a dozen families this morning, how they are going to respond in joyful gratitude for all that God has done for them, they are going to respond with dedicating their very children their very offspring. Because this God has been so good to them in giving them salvation and giving them eternal life, giving them abundant life in Christ and blessing them and saving them and adopting them and sanctifying them. For these dozen families, their heart is so filled that all they can do is respond back in joyful gratitude of dedicating their very children to his glory, to his purposes, to his will, and to his plan. And they dedicate themselves to follow God's plan for their parents. And that's what's taking place now. In a moment, we're going to go to prayer. We're going to spend some time reflecting on what God has done for us. You see, Christianity has a lot more to do with 
obsessing about what God has done for you than obsessing about what you need to do for God. There's a place for that. But I'll just tell you this. You, you get obsessed with what God has done for you and what you need to do for God just happens. Too many of us obsessed. I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do those things and these things. Obsessed with Christ. Obsessed with everything he's done for you. And then let his spirit just flow through you. This is going to be a special service and a, a sacred ceremony in which a dozen families offer their very, their very best, their most precious back to the will, purposes, and plan of God, their Heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.